Welcome to Pack Talk Podcast, episode 83. I'm here with my good friend Lexi. You've heard her before if you're a listener of the podcast. She's a professional dog trainer at Canine Revolution Dog Training. And today we're talking about resource guarding. And Lexi is drinking a Jocko Go as we get into this. You know, the Jocko Fuel, you know, we like that on this podcast. And she was just talking to us about C4, her, her <laughs> latest C4 addiction, which I'm sure we can talk about later. Right now we got to talk about resource guarding. So hopefully today... Um, you guys, we're going to give you some key takeaways, some very actionable steps that you can take in regards to resource guarding. If you have a dog that's resource guarding, or maybe you're a dog trainer that's working with uh, some clients that have a resource guarding dog, there's definitely some considerations you want to take into account. Um, so first of all, there's going to be multiple potential resource guarding scenarios, depending on the dog, depending on you, depending on your family. So some general scenarios I've seen are you know, resource guarding of food, resource guarding of toys, other items, you know, they don't have to be specifically toys, but it could be other items. They could be resource guarding people. They could be resource guarding territories or spaces like a kennel, for example, or your yard or your house. So we're going to talk about this today and give you actionable steps to take. So some examples of resource guarding that I've seen, and we'll ask Lexi here in a second too, but I've had dogs guarding food or toys, you know, which is pretty common. You know, like you put their food down and then all of a sudden they start growling, they're barking, they're lunging, protecting that food or protecting that toy. People are having problems getting toys away from dogs because the dog is guarding that toy, not letting you uh, have control of that toy, right? Those, are, I would say, are the most common, the food and toys. But I've also seen dogs guarding people. So, like, I've I've heard and seen of situations where you know, someone sitting on their couch with one of their dogs, their other dog walks by and the dog that was on the couch attacks the dog that was walking by. And it's not just in relation to the couch, it's in relation to where that one person is and the dog being with them. So that would be a dog guarding a person, seeing that person as a resource. Or maybe you have like a small dog, like a wiener dog, you're carrying that around and anybody that gets close, that dog's lunging for. But if that dog's not with that specific person, Let's say it's with somebody else, it doesn't do that, which means that that single person is a resource um, according to that dog's perspective. And then like another common one is like a dog guarding territory that could be the couch, for example, could be a house, could be a yard. When the dog's in the yard in the house, it acts a certain way, gets super territorial or guarding. If the dog's outside of that territory, it has no problems, right? So that's just an example of a dog guarding territory. You have any other examples off the top of your head, Lexi? I mean, just, yeah, most common from what I've seen is, you know, dog being on couch or bed, furniture, you know, something that humans are typically on, you know, owner goes to remove the dog from whether it's the bed, couch, furniture, I mean, then, you know, growling, snapping, like things like that. So that I would say is most common. Mm-hmm. Um, one that pops in my head, though, is like recently had a dog was like major uh, guarding like over the kennel, like, mm. you know, coming in and out of the kennel, mm. um, just any kennel scenarios, you know, is, mm. you know, barking, lunging, growling, snapping. So like it, it's not only just, you know, human like objects or things like that. Definitely the kennel can still be a space that the dog is guarding over to. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in general, the root cause of most resource guarding is going to be either dominance or some form of insecurity, right? Those are going to be the root cause in most cases. So the action steps we're going to be detailing out for you here in a few minutes are going to tackle that root cause because that's what you want to do. You want to tackle the root cause and not just put a band aid on 
the actual behavior of the resource guarding, you want to tackle why is that dog actually resource guarding? What is the root cause of that resource guarding, right? So the dog either wants to control the resource and those around them, which would be like a dominance route, or the dog is nervous about what's going on and they're guarding the resource because they feel most comfortable or most safe with that resource and don't want others getting close to it. And that would be the insecurity uh, route. You see what I'm saying? So a dog just wanting to control things and control people or other animals around those things, that'd be rooted in dominance. If the dog is nervous of the situation or scenario and is guarding the resource because that is where they feel most comfortable and safe, um, that's going to be triggering that insecurity root cause, which like Lexi brought up the kennel, like a dog that's guarding the kennel that doesn't want to come out of their kennel, it's most likely because they feel comfortable and safe in that kennel. They don't want to be taken out because they feel safe in there. So they're guarding, right, that kennel to stay in there and remain in there. So one thing to think about too is like if you walk into someone's house and you don't live there, but you're just an innocent bystander, mm. right? You're just a civilian in the situation. You're an innocent bystander and you're being guarded from a resource. Let's say you walk into a house at your friend's house, for example, dogs on the couch, all of a sudden that dog is guarding that couch for whatever reason, whether it's dominance or insecurity. And if a dog's just staying on the couch and growling at you, snarling at you, that's probably an insecurity root cause because it feels comfortable on the couch. It doesn't feel comfortable with you, right? So what are some things that you can do if you're just an innocent bystander? Some things that come to my head are remaining neutral, right? So not really showing that dog any type of attention. If you just look at that dog, that could trigger something, right? But if you look away from that dog, show it the side profile of your body, you remain neutral, you remain calm, confident, relaxed, and possibly alleviate the pressure, which means if you're getting closer to the couch, the dog is triggering. If you're maintaining a, a safe distance away from the couch, you're not triggering the dog. That can help the dog get used to you being in that environment. And then you want to identify what's actually going on. Is the dog actually guarding the couch or is the dog about to lunge and bite you because you're inside the house? Mm -hmm. You know, those are some things that come to my head. Like if I'm just an innocent bystander walking into a friend's house, this starts happening. These are things I'm going to be doing. The friend might be like, it's no problem. They're nice. You know, <laughs> here's the dog is snarling at me on their couch. <laughs> you know, what are some things that come to your head, Lexi, if you're an innocent bystander walking into someone's house where their dog starts guarding you or a resource? Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing that you said is, you know, looking for ways almost to de-escalate the situation um, and determining root cause like you talked about. But I think that's important because you'll see a lot of videos nowadays where, you know, dog is guarding over whether, you know, we're just like talking about the couch in this scenario. But like mm -hmm. where this dog is guarding over the couch and the person's like, well, I'm going to assert dominance. I'm going to go up in their face, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm going to get them to stop um, because of an ego issue, which mm -hmm. is obviously escalating the scenario, not de-escalating. So, I mean, I think it's exactly what you said is, you know, looking for ways where we can kind of de-escalate the situation, especially because it's not our dog. You know, it's it's just a friend's dog. Mm -hmm. um, but making sure that we're not taking it to the ego side of things like, hey, well, I'm right. going to, you know, uh, show this dog who's boss. In right. a sense. So, yeah, I mean, right. it would just be remaining neutral, kind of ignoring it, not talking to it. Lots right. of people want to say, oh, it's OK. <laughs> or, you know, you're a good boy or I'm not going to hurt you. And I'm like, OK, now you're making it worse. <laughs> you know, like dog doesn't understand English. They yeah. don't know what you're saying. They just know you're giving them weird forms of attention. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. just definitely not talking to them. I know you said not looking at them either. Yeah. Um, you know, some people are like, oh, 
oh, well, let me just go put up my hand. Okay, mm-hmm. well, no, you're, you know, approaching, not probably good to go. Right. <laughs> Stay away. Right. Um, more likely than not, if you ignore the dog, they're eventually going to calm down as they see that, you know, yeah. you're not doing anything yeah. to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the talking thing because a lot of people, they get nervous. <laughs> yeah. And because they're nervous, they, it's okay, it's okay. And then, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. when things just go downhill real fast, you know. Yeah. Just ignore the dog completely, you know. So at the very uh, basic fundamental level, we'll talk about how we're going to resolve resource guarding ideally. And the way to do that is to establish a proper, strong relationship with the dog. So whether you're the dog's trainer or you're the dog's owner, the first thing you need to focus on is developing and establishing a proper, strong relationship and then build up a structure with the dog that includes accountability methods And that enables you to uh, easily establish and communicate boundaries and expectations with the dog while also teaching the dog how to behave if it feels uncomfortable, right? Because after we do the training process, let's say my dog is in my house. Let's say I have a friend come over. The dog feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I want to give that dog options of behaviors that they should feel comfortable doing that puts it in a safe place, like going over to a pet cot and laying down, Mm -hmm. right? No one's going to mess with you over there. I'm not going to let anybody mess with you over there right going to your kennel laying down in your kennel that's a safe place you see what i'm saying so giving the dog options of behaviors to perform instead of reacting or growling or whatever because you feel uncomfortable you see what i'm saying so we're going to go ahead and detail out the the process we do recommend for uh resolving resource guarding and whether the root cause is insecurity or dominance we're going to recommend the same process either way Now, with that being said, uh, if the root cause is insecurity or dominance, you're going to have some adjustments that may need to be made on the fly, depending on what the root cause is. But in general, the process is going to be the same way. So the first thing we should talk about is how we're going to manage time and resources as we're building up this training foundation to resolve the resource uh, guarding. Because if you're just letting your dog do whatever it wants to do between your training sessions or between your sessions that you're working with it, you know, it's going to take longer for you to achieve your end goal. And it may even stop you from achieving your end goal Mm -hmm. because you're missing out on important time and resource management. So some things that we recommend are using a kennel, right, throughout your training process. And what we recommend initially is using a kennel at nighttime when you're not home or if you're not directly training with your dog at first, Once you reach a certain point in your training process, of course, you're not going to be using the kennel as much as you are at the beginning, but it's super important to manage time and resources at the beginning because we need the dog to start triggering in its mind and changing its thought process of respecting you as a leader instead of testing your leadership and trying to take control itself of different things that are going on in the house. You see what I'm saying? Um, The other thing you could use is like an X-Pin, but I would not recommend using an X-Pin for a bigger dog. I would only do that with a puppy or a smaller dog. And again, the whole concept of using a kennel or an X-Pin is managing time, managing resources. If your dog is uh, guarding the kennel resource from you, Mm -hmm. there are some other protocols you may need to put in place. You may need to put a divider into that kennel, right? So you take away some of the dog space in that kennel. You may need to leave a leash on them when they're in the kennel so you don't have to reach in there and breach that boundary until you achieve uh, a relationship that's strong enough for the dog to respect you reaching in there. 
You see what I'm saying? So those are some options you could do in that situation, which are most likely going to be with like an insecure root cause. So again, kennel and X-Pen, good for time and resource management. And then the other thing we would recommend is keeping them on a leash anytime they're outside of that kennel or X-Pen. And the reason for that is if, you're, if you go out to your yard and your dog's just blowing you off, running around, doing the zoomies, you're having to chase it to, to try and get something done with it, you know, that's not helping you. And it's also basically teaching your dog that they can run things, right? So if you keep them on a leash, they can only go X amount of uh, feet away from you. That could be six feet, four feet, 10 feet, depends on the length of your leash. But that also gives you a clear line of communication with them where if you're like, okay, we're going back in the house now, if they're trying to resist you on that, you can literally just walk into the house and the leash is helping them come with you. You see what I'm saying? So controlling their time, what they can do, um, using the kennel and X-Pen, keeping them on the leash, controlling their schedule throughout the day, that's going to really set you up for success to achieve your end goal very, very quickly to, re to resolve the resource guarding. Then also feeding them their, their meals from your hands. That's going to be critical as well, especially in the next step we're going to talk about. But instead of giving them their food in a bowl, if you give them that food from your hands, it's going to help establish a clear uh, level of respect for you very, very rapidly. So Lexi, you got anything to add to time and resource management overall in the training process? Um, I think just the important thing is just remembering that the kennel is just simply management. You know, it's never going to be a punishment or anything like that. And your dog is not suffering whenever they're in the kennel. Right. You know, to them, they just see the kennel as a form of management. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're, we always work to make the kennel a positive place too, but it's never going to be a negative thing to have your dog in a kennel. Um, keeping in mind that your dog is only doing what you're allowing them to do. So if yep. you're trying to work them away from resource guarding over the couch, resource guarding over, you know, the backyard over a food bowl whatever it may be mm -hmm. and we're trying to work against that but then now the dog's free roaming it's on the couch and it's still growling day mm -hmm. to day it's growling at you because mm -hmm. they're roaming they're sleeping on the couch mm -hmm. well now we're allowing them to perform that behavior we're literally just con contradicting ourselves yeah. you know it's not yeah. we're not progressing anywhere um, because we're still letting them reinforce in that behavior while we're trying to resolve the behavior yeah. so you know yeah. it's with that bad habit you know like you're doing as we're managing them is trying to break that habit as we're rebuilding up, you know, all the things that we're going to talk about. Um, but it's just important. I mean, like, it's it's never going to be a negative thing to have your dog in a kennel. It's going to be better to, you know, help establish um, or help kind of combat the root cause of this instead of, uh, once again, allowing them to do all the behaviors we don't want them to do. Yeah. And if they're just free roaming, what are they going to be doing? You know, they're allowing, we're allowing them to get away with doing all those things. Yeah. And like you said, we're allowing them to choose what they want to do whenever they want to do it. Yeah. So, you know, why would they stop resource guarding? <laughs> We're just letting them do whatever they want to do. There's no reason for yeah. them to listen. Right. Um, so definitely, I mean, I just think that's a super important one. And then just like keeping a leash on, some people are like, well, what if, you know, the leash gets caught around my furniture? What if the leash gets caught around this and this? Well, you know, what are our goals? Does it really matter if it gets tangled around, you know, the furniture leg a time or two? You mm -hmm. know, we can just go untangle it. But if it's really a big deal, keep a shorter leash on yeah you know definitely still a leash that we can you know use guidance and things like that i mean as we're managing their time they're not really free roaming anyway mm -hmm. um but just once again keeping your goals in mind these are going to help achieve your goals and it's only short term so like yeah. you said too we're not saying hey do this for the rest of your dog's life mm -hmm. it's going to be a short-term thing um or maybe a little bit longer term just depending on whenever we're reaching our goals but it's to reach the goal and then we can let them you know do the things that they used to do too right. 
Yeah, I think you brought up a good point. A lot of people feel bad about the kennel. They feel bad about putting their dogs in the kennel. So a couple things, you know, first of all, like you said, it's never a negative thing. It's always a positive place to be at. You know, you can also uh, make the kennel a resting place, which mm-hmm. this process will help you make the kennel a resting place where if they're going to their kennel, they know to calm down and relax in there. You can put a little doggy bed in there to make it comfortable. You know, we use Primo pads. You can find those on, uh, I think it's primopads.com. They don't sponsor us to say that, but we use them because <laughs> we believe in them. They're very nice little dog beds and you can size them specifically to your kennel. So they have a nice cushion in there. And uh, the other thing, too, is making sure that on a daily basis, you're satisfying their basic instinctual needs Mm -hmm. of physical and mental exercise, physical and mental stimulation, right? And so this training process is going to help you achieve the mental side very, very easily. But the physical side, you're going to need to put deliberate time into. So take a walk in the morning, take a walk in the evening, you know, take a couple walks throughout the day. Maybe you like to walk after you eat your meals, right? So you eat your breakfast while you're doing that. Your dog's eating. Or if you're still feeding them from your hands, you eat your breakfast, you feed them their food, then you take them on a short walk. Maybe you do that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Who knows, right? But making sure that you're incorporating physical exercise into your daily routine as well makes that kennel time uh, more fair if you think that it's not fair for them to be in the kennel for a long period of time. Okay? But even if you're at the end of the training process and you're not really using the kennel that much, you still need to be giving physical and mental exercise on a daily basis. Okay. All right. So the next thing we're going to focus on in this process, once we identify how we're going to manage time and resources throughout the day, are uh, building focus and engagement. So this is establishing that strong relationship. And so we have a couple videos on YouTube where you can go and watch us doing this. But basically, you want to go out to your training area, you want to have some food rewards on you, or your dog's food that you're feeding from your hands, and you literally wait for them to look at you once they make a decision to look at you, you're going to say good and give them some food. You're going to repeat that process, right, for a couple of sessions or a couple of days until you go out to your training area, you go out to your yard, and your dog is immediately starting to look at you because they're excited to be out there. They're wanting to pay attention to you because you've made the association of looking at you equals food, right? And uh, you go from there. You build that up as much as you can. You make that a fun and exciting process. And uh, again, it might be slow at first. You walk out to your training area or your yard. You're waiting for your dog to look at you. They start looking at you. You say, good, you give them food. You walk around a little bit more. They look at you again. You say, good, you give them food. You repeat that process until that's super strong where the focus is there. Once your dog is focusing on you and engaging with you, which means they have sustained focus on you, then you know that you can start to teach them other things training-wise, right? But this step is the most critical. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible for the for you guys listening, but uh, it's, it's super critical. If you don't have focus, if you don't have engagement, I would not proceed in the training steps until you establish that. If you get that right, the rest of your training is going to be super easy, super simple. Lexi, you got anything to add on focus and engagement building? Um, I think it's just important not to like rush the process. I mean, like you said, especially the first couple of times you do it, you know, you might sit there for, you know, 
two minutes before your dog looks at you. And I mean, it's just being patient with it. And yes, it does get um, more fluid over time where they're paying attention to you more and more. Um, but, you know, it's it's about being patient and not, you know, trying to shove the food in their face. Like, hey, look, this is what I got. Like, it's right. it's really super important that they are wanting to look at you. Not that we're forcing them to look at us. Not that mm-hmm. we're always, you know, yelling their name, calling their name, trying to get them to look at us. Like, we want that to be a decision that they're making on their own and consistently making on their own so like i mean definitely not rushing it some dogs will pick up on it faster than others depending on what's going on around them too Mm -hmm. but just making sure that you're really building up that that dog is doing it on its own and not whenever we're like asking them to or you know making a big show about it yeah like you said ideally uh we're not asking the dog to do that we're just waiting for them they're making the the decision in their brain themselves to look at us we're just marking that and rewarding that and that helps that neuro pathway open and become more solid in the dog's mind. The focus will be at a higher level uh, uh, instead of us begging them essentially to look at us. You see what I'm saying? And if you want to backtrack a little bit, we did do a podcast on how your dog learns. It's episode 27. And that's basically describing the learning theory behind everything we do. Classical conditioning, operant conditioning, that podcast deep dives into that. So if you want to listen to that, you can to understand some of the science behind what we're talking about. But that focus and engagement, that should be your priority. Only when you achieve that to a high level should you proceed, right? And the next thing that we would focus on is leash, what we call leash pressure work. And what this means is instead of your dog being a leash puller, your dog learns to be a leash follower, right? <clears throat> so leash pressure is if you walk a certain way and your dog and the leash gets tight on your dog, and your dog moves with you in the leash, that dog understands how to move with leash pressure. It understands how to be a leash follower versus a leash puller, right? No one likes a leash puller. Raise your hand if you like a leash puller. Nobody raised their hand, so I'm assuming none of us like leash pulling. So anyway, what you're going to do for this is you've already established focus. You've already established engagement. So now you're going to deliberately put a little bit of tension on that that leash for your dog and if they fight it for a second that's fine just hold what you got and then as soon as they give into that leash uh tension just for a split second just for a half step you're going to say good you're going to reward them for that with their food reward and over time over a couple sessions what you'll start seeing is anytime your dog feels just a little tension on that leash it's going to start moving with the leash towards you which is what you want because that helps the leash be a good signal for you, a good guide for you. You can guide your dog around that leash as time goes on, as you develop that some more. So Lexi, anything else to add on leash pressure? Again, I'm trying to keep it simple. So what do you got on that one? I mean, it's just important, like you said, to make sure that they're understanding to go um, with the leash because if they're always trying to resist the leash, then it's going to obviously take a lot longer to get anywhere if you're always just trying to take a walk with your dog and then now they're trying to pull your arm off. That's annoying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, uh, but I mean, also like it's not anything crazy either, like not a constant leash pressure. It's just Mm -hmm. like you said, putting a little bit of leash pressure, teaching them to, you know, give in to that leash pressure. So, I mean, nothing, nothing crazy there, but definitely super important i think back to when my dogs were leash pullers i can't believe i was doing that for that long you know (laughs) like i literally would have a prong collar on one of my dogs and he didn't care he'd be pulling into it the prong collars at maximum uh closure that it can and he just doesn't care he's just pulling as hard as he can you know one of my small dogs pulled my wife off a cliff one time (laughs) you know because she was a leash puller just pulled her off this cliff on this hiking trail 
and she's crying. You know, the dog's barking at people. Oh people are gosh. screaming because she fell off this cliff. It wasn't that big. It was like maybe 20 feet. But uh, anyway. <laughs> maybe 20 feet. <laughs> good times. Good times. So anyway, you don't want that. No. So that's Miserable. why you want to do this leash pressure work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All right. Once we complete that, then we're going to be focusing on building up muscle memory for obedience commands. And I think that there's a misconception in the world people think that obedience is just like something dogs understand hmm. they literally have no idea what obedience positioning or commands are so you cannot assume that they know them you cannot assume that it's just something natural for your dog your dog naturally doesn't want to just sit out of nowhere <laughs> your dog naturally does not want to lay down and stay there hmm. for an extended period of time your dog does not naturally just want to come to you unless you have that one in a million dog that's just doing all these things for you genetically, you know, which uh, you'll never have that dog again. So <laughs> if you have that dog and then it passes away, you get another dog. People are like, this dog is not like my last dog. Well, that's, yeah, your dog's not going to be like your last dog. You know what I'm saying? So like in the, in the natural world, dogs may lay down to rest, but they usually don't lay down for somebody mm -hmm. that asks them to lay down. So it's completely unnatural. So what we do in our training process, and we recommend for everybody, once you complete that leash pressure work, you're going to then develop the muscle memory for obedience. And we recommend doing that with a food lure because that's going to be, you know, exciting for the dog. It's going to help them learn to maneuver their, their body into different positions. So you would literally have a food lure in your hand. You'd hold it to their nose. You'd slowly pull that up so that their butt touches the ground and their nose is up. Therefore, it's a sit position. We can say good. We can reward them for doing that. We can literally hold the food in our hand, hold it to their nose, slowly go to the ground to promote them going all the way down to the ground and laying down on the ground, right, for a down position. We can build up a stay position, right, all these different types of things. So, again, you have to think about your dog does not naturally know or understand these things. And so how can you help your dog get comfortable with those positions? That's going to be doing muscle memory work for those obedience positions through the use of food lures. Now there's a trap a lot of people get into. They'll start luring their dog and they'll do that forever, right? Oh, my dog will sit if I have a treat. My dog will down if I have a treat. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's falling into the trap of your dog always has to have a lure, always has to have a treat. So we're not really talking too much about reward schedules, reinforcement schedules of training, how to get rid of food in your training process, right? That's a, that's a different discussion. Right now we're trying to give you simple, easy steps, but just know that at a certain point, you're going to have to stop luring your dog, right? We're going to use lures to encourage and build that behavior up, but then at a certain point, we're going to stop luring with food once we know that dog knows that position knows how to move from standing into laying down, knows how to move from sitting into laying down, for example. So again, this step, you're going to focus on getting your dog comfortable with different obedience positions. And what obedience does for you in the long term is it gives you different ways to manage your dog and give your dog a job in different situations in your house or elsewhere um, which going back to our introduction discussion, this gives your dog options for behaviors that they can do that they feel comfortable with, right? Obedience helps you do that. So Lexi, you got anything to add about developing muscle memory for obedience? 
I mean, I think, like you said, too, like, obviously, you don't want to lure your dog for forever, but you also don't want to not lure them enough. So, right. like, it is definitely a balance, like, not rushing it. I know that, like, lots of times when I talk to people, they're like, well, I, you know, lured them into a sit five times. Now they know it. Well, I mean, <laughs> some dogs can pick it up on five times, but yeah. it's like most of the time we're talking about, you know, like, hundreds of repetitions. Now, right. like, that doesn't mean that you're doing it for months and months. Right. You can, but then you might get into the, hey, now I'm luring them for forever, but it's like, yeah. You know, putting the time in, making sure that we're not rushing into like an accountability step, you know, mm-hmm. whenever the dog hasn't fully, fully learned the muscle memory of the obedience behavior. Mm-hmm. So it is like a balancing act um, of making sure you don't, you know, rush the process either. Because once again, we want the dog to be enjoying the training. We want them to be motivated to do these things yeah. um, and not just always us forcing them to do these things. So it's, you know, making sure that muscle memory is super strong before we move on to anything else. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, you mean, just can't iterate enough. Like, had so many people tell me, you know, well, I did it five times. I did it ten times. Okay, well, you should do it, you know, 200 times, you know, or yeah. however many times that dog needs till they really, really know the muscle memory. Right. And this is where the feedback from a professional dog trainer could really help you because their experience will help you know when is too much luring yeah. and when is too little luring. Like you specifically said, hey, my dog five times, like to me, even if five times was easy, I'm still doing more because that may have been five times in one session. I'm going to be doing multiple sessions Mm -hmm. just to make sure that dog's comfortable with that before I proceed to the next step. You know what I'm saying? And we did do a podcast on selecting a dog trainer. That'd be episode 37. That gives you some considerations on if you're looking for a dog trainer to work with. There's some really good questions that you should be asking that dog trainer. That's in episode 37. So no matter where you are in the world, if you're listening, you can go to 37, help you pick out a good dog trainer, right? But anyway, so once we get the muscle memory for obedience complete, now what we're going to do, the next step is associating that muscle memory movement with a specific obedience command. So like sit, for example, most people are going to say the word sit, right? Down, for example, most people are going to say the word down unless you want to use some other language, mm. which is fine, but your dog doesn't really care about verbal language. So you're literally just associating uh, a verbal signal to your dog that indicates to move into that specific position. And again, podcast episode 27 details the science behind how your dog learns. So in this step right here, developing obedience commands, all we're doing is classically conditioning a verbal cue, a verbal command, a verbal signal to a specific muscle memory movement. So sitting, for example, the way we would do that, we would say sit. We would then lure the dog into the sit position. Once they do that, we would say good and reward. So that's the process. And you're going to do that, again, repetitiously for every different, excuse me, obedience position you're going to be doing. You're going to do that repetitiously until your dog is comfortable and you know your dog's comfortable because you're going to say sit and then your dog will immediately boom move into that sit position without you uh, luring them once that's complete then you know that that position overall is good to go you may have to again balance like what lexi was talking about if you're finding that your dog's sitting overall with the command but sometimes it's struggling you may have to lure every once in a while you see what i'm saying but you're trying to get away from the luring at this point in your training by assigning those verbal commands. And this is going to take lots of repetitions for mm-hmm. every different position. Alexi, what do you got for considerations on conditioning your commands, your verbal commands? 
I mean, I think that that's just important, too, is like right at the beginning, like we're not, um, you know, saying the word too. like I had someone just the other day trying to teach their dog rollover. You know, they're they're just basically they have a treat in their hand. Mm-hmm. They're just saying to the dog, roll over, roll mm-hmm. over, roll mm-hmm. like 20 times. So they the assume dog, <laughs> the dog knows how to roll over. <laughs> well, and they're trying to lure like they're okay. trying to move okay. the food. Yeah. But it's just like now we've said roll over 20 times. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you're making roll over mean nothing right. versus like right. first we lure the dog into rolling over. Yep. Now we pair the command with that. Yep. It's like the same thing. You know, once again, someone's trying to teach their dog high five. Mm-hmm. They're holding their hand in the air. They're saying. high five you know 20 30 times and it's like okay now you're actually making high five or roll over or sit or down whatever it is you're making that word mean nothing the dog's just hearing it over and over and over which can make things harder in the future whenever you actually want to pair it to that command so just making sure that we're not really adding um the word until the dog is actually moving into the behavior now Mm -hmm. obviously like you said that doesn't have to be moving into the behavior by themselves Mm -hmm. but it's like if you can't get your dog to sit with a lure Mm -hmm. we're not going to be saying the word sit until it's very smooth to right. lure your dog into the you know whatever the desired behavior is yeah. so that's just an important note there I mean, that's a super important note because uh like you said if that dog's not comfortable moving into that position they're not going to make a good association and if you're if you're repeating the word multiple times it basically becomes white noise to the dog yeah. so you have to know your dog's comfortable moving with the lure so that when you say the word sit and then you do the lure it's a very mm-hmm. fluid process. It's nothing that has any kinks in it. Yeah. And that's just going to help you achieve success very, very quickly. Right. So, yeah, lots of sessions of doing that. Again, if you need to backtrack a little bit, do some more luring, you can, but don't get stuck on luring. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, it's a balance, balancing act as you go. So once we achieve the obedience commands being associated properly, we're saying the command, the dog's moving into the movement without us luring reliably. Now we're going to start teaching the dog accountability we're going to start that with the leash and accountability is basically you know if the dog disobeys or doesn't perform there's some kind of consequence right there can be good consequences for like if you're doing the right thing you're going to get a food reward there's also going to be consequences where if you're disobeying me or doing the wrong thing there's going to be something there that might be a little bit uncomfortable to help you move into that proper position so the first thing we're going to be doing is teaching accountability with the leash And our recommendation for that, keeping it super simple, would be, let's say your dog knows how to sit, and you say sit, and they're not sitting for whatever reason, you say no, you give them just a quick tug and release on the leash, and then the dog sits, you say good, you reward them, because you're teaching them what accountability Mm -hmm. is, right? So that's why we still reward after we do accountability at first as we're teaching it, so the dog has a very clear understanding of what accountability is. You don't want to overdo your accountability by Mm -hmm. doing too hard of a leash uh, tug and release. You also don't want to do too little of Mm -hmm. a leash tug and release that doesn't mean anything to the dog. You have to find that balance right in between the two extremes of the uh, scenario and give just enough uh, leash pressure tug and release so that your dog registers that and understands, whoops, I should have been sitting and then sits down, for example, right? So you're going to do that for all your different obedience positions. I would do this in your house, in your front yard, in your backyard, on your walks to make sure your dog is really, really smooth with that before you proceed from there, right? What do you got for accountability, Lexi? I mean, I just think the accountability part is super important because I think sometimes it's easy for people to forget that, like, 
dogs are living, breathing beings. Mm. You know, they're mammals just like us. Now, obviously, there's differences, but, you know, they're they're still <laughs> mammals. They still have freedom of choice. We're not going to make them robotic. We're not going to make them machines. So they're not going to be 100% perfect. Yeah. And it is our job to hold them accountable whenever they're not, you know, listening to what we've asked. Mm-hmm. If there's no accountability, because I get this question a lot, well, like, can we get away from the accountability? Mm-hmm. If there's no accountability, there's no reason to listen if they're choosing to deviate. Right. Now, like, over time, accountability will decrease as they're naturally listening to us. But, like, I almost even correlate it to, like, you know, we have cops. Mm-hmm. There's there's always cops. If we did not have cops, like, movies like The Purge, you know, <laughs> like, the the world goes to shit, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, we need accountability. Humans yeah. need accountability. So do dogs. So, yeah. I mean, it's just some people are weird about the accountability portion of it. Well, I'm just going to use food, okay? Well, are you always <laughs> going to have, you know, your treats on you whenever you're trying to get your dog to do this, this, and this? Yeah. And it's also like, okay, what are you going to do when your dog is resource guarding now? You're going to give them food? Like, you know, there right. has to be some sort of accountability, right. just like there is with us. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, like we said, we're starting with the leash and then we're talking about the next one. But it's just, I mean, I, I can't even, you know, say I get that question all the time. Like, mm-hmm. can we just get away from the accountability? Do we mm-hmm. always need accountability? Mm-hmm. Yes, just like humans always need accountability. Just the fact of having police in place. Mm-hmm. Now there's, you know, hopefully less crime or, right. you know, less speeding on the road, things right. like that. Um, and it's the same thing for dogs, just a little bit different. Yeah. No, definitely a good point. And uh, like you said, as time goes on, you're probably going to be doing less accountability with your dog. Mm-hmm. Just like as you mature as a human, you'll generally, I'm not <laughs> going to say all the time, but generally get less speeding tickets or whatever, Yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. But, uh, and that's just because you're building habits in your mm-hmm. dog. And the more that you're practicing these things just day in and day out, the more the habit gets stronger and the stronger the habit the less likely your dog is to disobey, which means the less likely it is that you'll need accountability. But there's still going to be situations where your dog is tempted by something Mm -hmm. or your dog is distracted by something requiring accountability from you. So you always want your accountability available, right? Because all dogs are going to get distracted by something. It could be a squirrel. It could be a ball. It could be, you know, random it could be water like you know how dogs like water like hoses without going for the hose you know could be a butterfly could be a butterfly (laughs) something that simple you know like the hose for example if you got kids you're having like a kid's party (laughs) you're like playing with the hose all of a sudden the dog's knocking kids over trying to attack the hose water like you know so you want to make sure you have accountability in place in those types of situations and so we start accountability with the leash the next thing that we do is a remote collar conditioning and application. Yes, we do use remote collars in our training only when conditioned and applied properly. We've been getting a lot of nasty comments on our mm-hmm. Facebook recently about, oh my gosh, remote collar this, remote collar that. You know, we put a, a podcast episode out, episode 75, where we talk specifically about remote collars. We explained uh, how they work, why we would use them, why we recommend them. But in general, they're going to be a safety tool for your dog. They're going to be a a very easy way for you to communicate with your dog. And uh, it's basically your invisible leash and ensures their safety. It also gives them freedom because if you don't have a remote collar, I would keep my dog on a leash, which means they're limited to Mm -hmm. what they can do. And they have to always be within a certain amount of feet with me. If I have a remote collar on and I like to go hiking, for example, now I can let my dog kind of wander away from me. If I like to go to the beach like Lexi mm. and let my dog splash in the water and run in the sand and chase crabs or whatever they like to do, you know, like 
Now, because I have a remote collar, I have that invisible leash. I can allow them to do those things. I can sit or whatever, you know, Lexi likes to do at the beach, float away on a raft while her dogs are doing whatever, <laughs> and still be able to communicate with them if there's something going on that they need to be communicated about. But it's not fair just to put a remote collar on your dog and start using it. You see what I'm saying? The dog has to be taught what the remote collar is, what it feels like properly, and how to respond to it. So we have a remote collar conditioning process that teaches them, hey, this is what the remote collar feels like. This is what you should do if you feel this sensation, right? And because we cannot communicate to dogs verbally, we have to teach this to them in a step-by-step systematic way that the dog understands. So we did deep dive on how we do remote collar conditioning in episode 75, and I believe it was episode 19, our first remote collar episode. So refer to those episodes for that deep dive on remote collar conditioning. But, you know, part of that process is just having your dog wear the collar without using it. It's just another training tool. And then you're going to start teaching them what to do when they, uh, you know, feel the remote collar sensation. And that's just going to be going to something that they're comfortable with, which is going to be some type of obedience command. That could be coming to you, that could be laying down, it could be going to their spot or their kennel. It literally is going to depend on you and what's going on around you. And once you have that conditioned, then you're going to apply that across your training scenarios in your house, in your backyard, in your front yard, down the street, on your walks, all that type of stuff so that your dog understands in all situations your communication process and system. Alexi, what do you got considerations for remote collar conditioning and application? I mean, I know that we talked about it in the other podcast, but I mean, we're still using food to teach the remote collar too. So, you know, like we're using food rewards, things like that. We're teaching them in a fair and positive way Mm -hmm. um, so that they understand what it means. Once again, just like we already mentioned, not rushing the process. Some dogs take longer to understand the remote collar. Some dogs are quicker understanding it. So just making sure we're not rushing, um, you know, the dog to the point where they might not fully understand what that remote collar means. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once again, I mean, like we keep talking, talking about it even if you listen to the podcast if you still don't feel comfortable you know um with performing it on your own reach out for help you know find a dog trainer near you or you know give someone a call or see if someone like a dog trainer a professional one not just any random joe on the street yeah um but you know ask ask for help ask for guidance because that's going to be a super important part that you want to be solid too i mean you want your your dog to be able to be off leash and know that you can trust the remote collar too right. which is going to be conditioning it properly yeah. Um, so just making sure, once again, not to rush. And if you have any doubts, any questions, you know, seek guidance for that too. Yeah, and you do hear of people that just put the remote collar on their dog and they just start using it. And sometimes they get lucky. Yeah. Sometimes the dog is okay with it. Sometimes it goes downhill real fast yeah. and there's a negative association yeah. that has to be undone. So rather than take that risk, you know, just seek professional help if you're not comfortable with it. And it is kind of like one of those things where experience helps so reaching out to a expert dog trainer professional dog trainer with experience in that situation is going to be uh highly advisable but once we complete the remote collar conditioning and application the next step that we would recommend is a generalization uh, which means basically going through as many different scenarios with your dog as possible in your day-to-day life and making sure your dog knows what to do in those situations so in this episode we're specifically talking about resource guarding So now that I've been through all these steps we just talked about, now it's time to generalize these steps. 
So now I'm going to basically start living my day-to-day life with my dog. And any scenario where they previously were resource guarding, I'm going to try and use my training techniques, use my accountability, use my rewarding uh, to help that dog understand what to do in that scenario, right? And if I do this properly, uh, it's going to eliminate the resource guarding from that dog and help that dog be super comfortable with us, with our family, with our with the scenarios that we go through in our day-to-day life. And it's going to help us be able to manage them and guide them mm-hmm. through what's going on in life. You know what I'm saying? So if you had a dog that used to resource guard the couch, for example, I would get that dog super comfortable with going over to their pet cot and laying down on that, going uh, coming to me off the couch, right? If people come in the house, the dog gets off the couch, maybe they go to their pet cot or their kennel. So you're giving your dog multiple uh, options and avenues. It's not to say your dog can't be on the couch. It just means that your dog needs to know resource guarding is not acceptable, not allowed, not something that we do. And if you feel uncomfortable, it's best to go do something else, right? Um, And our accountability helps us to achieve that because let's say, for example, we ask our dog to come to us off the couch and they're refusing to do that. We could say no. We could communicate with them through the remote collar and that dog could, uh, you know, understand that and come right over to us at that point. And then we can go from there. Right. So what do you think about generalization, Lexi? Anything, any big pointers you can think about? I mean, I think, too, like just as you're going, like even just through this whole process, you already are building up a different bond, a different level of trust and respect with your dog. So right. like by the time we're getting to the generalization phase, you know, we're, we've already changed the game to where, you know, we've showed the dog they can't do, you know, whatever they want to do. We've mm-hmm. now given them expectations, you know, have a clear communication system. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you might even already see less of the resource guarding, but it's right. still going to be making sure. And also I would just say making sure like as you're trying to generalize these behaviors like if your dog is guarding over the couch well make sure they're only on the couch whenever we can hold them accountable if they decide to resource guard so like that doesn't mean that like once again like you said they can't be on the couch it just wouldn't be like hey they're on the couch you know mom's in the other room kid goes up to the dog Mm -hmm. now the the dog's guarding over the couch again mom's out of the room can't hold them accountable Mm -hmm. or you know whoever's supposed to be holding them accountable in Mm -hmm. that situation so just making sure like we're kind of intentionally practicing um, the uh, the ways that they would resource guard to make sure that we are there to hold them accountable because as they're getting back to doing day-to-day things they might try it you know like we're right. like we've been saying so you know and if we're just letting them get reinforcement of it just like we talked about at the beginning well then we you know aren't stopping it mm-hmm. so just make sure that it's intentional whenever we're practicing you know if it's the dog's food bowl making sure that you know if there's food in the bowl and the dog's eaten making sure at the beginning, you know, we're paying attention so that we can hold them accountable for that behavior. And like everything else, you know, over time, we'll be able to not have to pay such close attention. But just making sure, once again, as you're generalizing it, that we are ready and available to hold them accountable if they're trying to practice those things. Yeah. And basically, what I'm understanding from what you're saying is that through generalization work, I'm going to be able to establish trust with my dog. Mm -hmm. Because by doing that, now I know me and my dog have worked through these different scenarios, like the kid Mm -hmm. walking by the couch scenario. Now I can trust my dog to be on the couch and not have a problem with the kid through my generalization work and proper management of the dog versus not knowing what the dog's Mm going to do. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people, unfortunately, I don't really understand it. They have a problem with their dog. Maybe their dog bites a kid or something like that. They don't change anything. They're just like, oh, that happened. I need training. (laughs) And then, you know, they're just letting their dog do whatever again. 
it's going to happen again. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So this process is designed to take a step-by-step approach and tackle the uh, root cause and the behaviors, right? And the generalization is where you're really hashing out that trust, mm-hmm. your dog's trust of you and the environment and your trust of your dog. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to do any socialization work with this uh, process we talked about today, that's just a bonus for you. Like the resource guarding, you know, itself is generally going to be limited to like your your house, your yard, your territory, common things you go to. Socialization is going out to new places, uh, having a good experience around new people, places, and things. So that's going to be a bonus. So if you have time for that, it's not going to hurt you by far. But for resource guarding, you want to focus on everything else we talked about. And then the last thing, uh, part of this is maintenance. Mm -hmm. You have to maintain your behaviors. You can't just do this process and then be like, okay, we're good to go back to whatever we used to do. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have problems come back up. You have to maintain a level of training. You have to maintain your structure, routine, and ritual throughout your day, every day with your dog. And that doesn't mean that every day you have to do the same thing. You can change Mm -hmm. things in your day, right? Um, But overall, your routines and rituals for the day should remain the same. You should always have your training tools available, like your remote collar, your leash, whatever you're doing for accountability, right? Have a kennel, right? You don't have to use a kennel long term. But I would still, even once you finish this, keep it around, use it sparingly if you need to so your dog remains comfortable with it you know what i'm saying because if you get rid of it completely you never use it now your dog might not be comfortable using a kennel again right so what do you have considerations for maintenance lexi i mean i think that's just uh once again like like we talked about at the beginning maybe your dog's spending multiple hours a day in the kennel like at this point they don't need to be doing that unless you want them to right but it's still just about maintaining even the muscle memory of all those behaviors so Mm -hmm. it's like you know some people might be like hey you know what does teaching my dog down have to really do with them guarding over the couch well you know it all plays that big part of um having the expectations that we're holding them to once Mm -hmm. again if we're not holding them to any sort of expectations they're going back to doing whatever they want to do when they want to do it so it's just making sure that every day day-to-day we're still you know employing our dog's brain to work for us too I mean not only is it healthy for them but just maintaining the level of um, respect and trust that we've built up I think that also goes into the socialization like yes you know the resource guarding might be at your home in your territory but going out for socialization now we're building up a stronger level of trust experiences out in those new um, environments are building you know stronger trust especially like if it's an insecure dog or even just a dominant dog that wants to control a situation well now we're showing them even in busy environments you know you're listening to me you're not controlling the situation mm-hmm. um, so even like socialization could be a part of your maintenance mm-hmm. even though it's not directly correlating to um guarding over the couch it's right. still once again bigger picture does correlate to the ultimate you know root cause which is changing the bond changing the relationship between right. you know you and your dog there so just i mean once again, like you already said, maintenance is going to be, you know, not just slacking off, not just letting them do whatever once mm-hmm. again. Um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, all <laughs> like the same intensity as what you've been doing to build up the same behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of wrapping it up here. Remember, Lexi already mentioned it, but your dog's only going to do mm-hmm. what you allow it to do. Right. So proper time management, proper resource management, proper leadership proper uh, structure, routines, and rituals help you build habits in your dog to do the right thing. 
But in the end, your dog's only going to do what you allow it to do. So if you allow it to guard a resource, it will keep doing that. If you allow it to practice resource guarding, it will keep doing that. If you allow it to bite people, it will keep doing that. If you allow it to run away from you and come back whenever it wants, it'll keep doing that. You get what I'm saying? If you allow it to pull on the leash, it'll keep doing that, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is a concept that I just don't think a lot of people understand. But literally, you ha this is your dog. You can make decisions to adjust what, you're, what you are allowing your dog to do. Which at first, going back to the beginning of our uh, process here, time and resource management. You start with that. What are things you can implement now to manage the dog's time and resources as you develop your training process and system? Once you complete that, you're on the maintenance phase. Obviously, there's a lot more that your dog's going to be able to do, but you're still not allowing your dog to do things that are not healthy for your dog or you or your relationship with them. You know what I'm saying? So make sure you guys uh, think about that, implement that. If you have questions on that, you can definitely let us know. But before we wrap up, I do want to mention really quickly, Pack Talk Podcast is sponsored by Canine Revolution Dog Training. Lexi here is one of our professional dog trainers. She's trained tons of dogs. I've lost count. Tons of dogs, big dogs, small dogs, crazy dogs, right? <laughs> Lexi, awesome. what's one dog off the top of your head that you've trained? Give us one example. <laughs> one example of one, one that dog? that pops into your head. Phoebe. Oh, uh, Phoebe. Phoebe was a good one. <laughs> See, all my dogs are good ones, but yeah, Phoebe was a good Frenchie. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I just, tons of dogs come to mind. I can't yeah. even pick one. Yeah. I just think of tons of dogs. Lots of dogs, which means you have lots mind. of experience, <laughs> which means if someone needs dog training, they could reach out. You can specifically request Lexi as your trainer if you want to. And uh, you don't have to be where we're at. We're in South Carolina, mm -hmm. but you can be from out of state. We'll still take care of you, make sure you're taken care of. Um, with that being said, we've done a number of dog training podcasts. So I just want to quickly go through a couple episodes you might find useful. Episode number 26 is how to raise a puppy. So we're talking about when you first get your puppy. Remember how me and Lexi talked about today? Your dog's only going to do what you allow it to do. This starts at day one mm -hmm. of getting your dog. So how should you raise your puppy? That's episode number 26. Episode number 27 talks about how your dog learns, the science behind dog training, and why we believe in what we do. Episode number 28 talks about the steps to your dog's training. So today we talked about steps to training specific to resource guarding. In episode 28, we talk about steps in general dog training. Episode 37, we talked about selecting a dog trainer Maybe you're out of state. Maybe uh, you don't want to make the tra uh, the travel to Canine Revolution Dog Training. We've got things for you to think about when you're selecting a dog trainer, questions for you to ask, considerations for you. So check out episode 37 for that. Episode 49, episode 72, episode 78 are dog training Q&As. So we have a ton of questions that come in. We try to answer those every so often. Episode 79, we had a listener Q&A. We had one of our listeners, Jesse, come on the podcast and ask live questions. Episode 70, we talked about training challenging dogs, which resource guarding can be challenging, right? It's not easy. Like today, we, we made it sound easy, right? <laughs> I mean, the process overall, to me, is easy step by step if you can stick to it and follow it. But it's definitely not simple, mm -hmm. you know, because there's little things that are going to happen to make it more challenging for you. So episode 70, we talked about training challenging dogs, considerations for that. So check those out. 
check out caninerevolutiondogtraining.com if you guys want to learn more about that. We're also sponsored by Canine Revolution Apparel, which is uh, dog clothes for you on Amazon. Also chicken clothes. Mm -hmm. Also guineas. Mm -hmm. Also good to go. So if you want to be good to go, you can grab you a good to go shirt or a good to go mug on Amazon, Canine Revolution Apparel. Or maybe it's raining where you're at. Mm -hmm. You could get a rain jacket. Those are nice. All right. Uh, coming up for Canine Revolution Dog Training, we have our NFT digital certificate program. And what this does is it gives anyone with this NFT, this digital certificate, uh, perks with local businesses in the Charleston and Somerville areas of South Carolina. So, so far we have several businesses lined up and more to come. We have Black Force MMA, which is in Ladson. You can go there. You can train MMA, mixed martial arts. You can train jujitsu. You can train self-defense, right? So you can go check that out, Black Force MMA. We have the Velasquez Company, which primarily does painting, but they also do some drywall repair. They've built all of our fences on the property that we have here for dog training. Um, these guys are top-notch. Antonio's the uh, owner of that business. He also asked me to come be a guest speaker at one of his events for young men, which uh, we did record that. We're going to be posting that on the Pack Talk Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. But that is the Velasquez Company. We're also partnering with Carolina Premier Inspections and Pest Control. And these guys right here, owner by, owned by Bob, the Bob, the one and only. Uh, they're going to come inspect your home, let you know what's wrong with it, what needs to be worked on. Hopefully before you buy it, you have them come inspect the house mm -hmm. so you know what you're getting into. I mean, literally, you cannot, I mean, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for that inspection to be done properly by a master inspector. Because I've heard horror stories of some home inspectors showing up, you know, they're overweight. They can't get into the crawl space. They can't get on the roof. And therefore, you don't know what's happening to your house. So Bob and his team are doing that for you. Also, Eric is uh, the manager of the pest control side of that business, and he does a great job. So make sure you reach out to them uh, for that. All is well in Somerville, basically holistic dog uh, business, right? They've got holistic dog food in there with good ingredients. They've got allergy testing, which one of our clients just did with their dog, and it was crazy. They sent me the report. <clears throat> it was crazy what that allergy test told about that dog. And uh, it helps them come up with a nutrition plan that's best for that dog that will not trigger any allergy types. So before you go to an allergy specialist because your dog might have mm -hmm. hot spots or bumps or rashes or anything like that, go to All Is Well in Somerville, get the allergy test, do that so you can know what's going on and try to come up with a nutrition plan first before you spend a bunch of money on shots or other things that mm -hmm. allergists are going to have you do. Also sharpshooter pressure washing. I mean, you need to clean your house. You need to clean your chicken coops like me, right? So you want that pressure washed. And Josh Tipton, technically the brother of our trainer, Chris Tipton, technically, uh, he's the owner of sharpshooter pressure wash. He comes out, he sharpshoots your house. For me, he sharpshoots the uh, chicken coop, make sure it's clean. And I think Ben's having him come over today, actually, to pressure wash his place. But I do it generally twice a year. I think that's what's recommended. So keeping your stuff clean is going to help longevity for your investments, right? Your house might be an investment for you. It's going to help promote longevity for that and keep it clean and presentable for you going up. What do you think, Ben? Good to go. 
On the <laughs> other side of the house, we have DT detailing, which is David. Hmm. So we talked about pressure washing your house. What about your car? That's an investment too. I mean, that could be a lot of money you're spending on your car mm -hmm. to maintain that car and all that kind of stuff. Well, a lot of people think about maintaining the engine and the moving parts of your car. What about your exterior? What about your interior? If your engine's running perfectly, but the car's falling out around it, rusting through, that's not helping you. So you can call David at DT Detailing and he'll come out. He can put paint sealing on your car, which seals your paint for several months, keeping it as pristine and perfect as possible also your interior keeping that as clean as possible it'll also wash out your engine bay keeping that as clean as possible right so these are all businesses that we're partnering with so far with our canine revolution dog training nft digital certificate program we're having more that we're lining up so these businesses are going to give you perks and discounts for being a canine revolution dog training nft holder so stand by for more information on that reach out if you have questions also, you know we like America, right? You know we like clean energy. We like clean supplements. So we like Jocko Fuel. Let me tell you a story. My wife, Lauren, she was working out one day. And she did a little bit too much weight. She was trying to shoulder press or bench press something that was a little bit too heavy for her. And she felt a tingling in her shoulder mm. like it was injured, right? She comes home. She's like, her arm's dragging, you know, she's kind of like walking like this with her arm flopping around. I said, Lauren, here, drink this. It was a mulk ready to drink. Mm. So I gave her a mulk ready to drink. She chugged that thing. The next day, her shoulder back to 100% operation. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. You got to ask crazy. her. <laughs> so now she said, you better keep that mulk stocked up mm. for me. So now I keep it stocked up for her in the pantry. The chocolate milk RTD is what she goes for. That's but anyway, Jocko Fuel, it's clean energy. It's sourced in America, made in America. We know it works because Lauren's shoulder was repaired in one day, 24 hours, <laughs> with milk. They also have milk cookies. Hmm. And if you have kids like me, sometimes kids don't always eat things that uh, would be ideal for them to eat. You know, they want to eat chicken nuggets, which are fine, especially Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. Right, Lexi? Yep, Chick-fil-A. They want to eat french fries and all that. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, good option. Mm -hmm. But maybe they struggle to eat protein outside outside of those times. So what you can do, you can go to Jocko Fuel. You can get you some milk cookies where it's a protein cookie with the best ingredients possible. And then you give that to your kid. Now your kid's getting 22 grams of protein mm -hmm. with a cookie. You're like, hey, you want a cookie? <laughs> you're, you're like, hey, here's a cookie. They don't know. It's good for them because mm -hmm. it's got protein in it. You see what I'm saying? A little, I don't want to call it trickery, but, you know, good tactic. There you go. See what I'm saying? So anyway, Jocko Fuel, you can go to JockoFuel.com. Use promo code SINGER101 for 10% off. Lexi's drinking the mango today, which uh, before we started, Lexi was telling me about her new uh, addiction to C4 energy drink. She said it gives her the tingles. <laughs> And that it tastes like a Jolly Rancher. She likes it. <laughs> it does. It tastes like candy or like flavored Sprite or something. I mean, it's it's probably dangerous, but it does make your skin feel like it's on fire, <laughs> which is either a good thing or a bad thing. So she's I don't drinking know. the C4. She's drinking the Jocko Mango today. You like the mango? Yeah, it's good. Meanwhile, Ben over here is drinking a Monster, which we know is made Gross. in China. <laughs> Not good to go. Made in China. <laughs> and I had gotten him his favorite flavor, which is the pink mist. He showed up with his monster, not good to go. So I'm keeping this for myself. I'm drinking this next. So learn your lesson. 
right? <laughs> so jockofuel.com, Singer 101 gets you 10% off. Also, Origin USA, these products are sourced in America again, made in America, for America. You can get jeans, you can get belts, you can get shirts, you can get hoodies, hats, whatever on there, boots. Ben's got the boots. And uh, they're just now coming out with the new workout line. So they haven't made workout clothes, like athletic clothes, up till this point. So they're releasing those today, actually. Today is June 9th, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They're releasing them. I'm going to get a pair of shorts. <laughs> so anyway, they also have the, uh, like, jujitsu stuff. They have the jujitsu geese, which are super nice. You can uh, get the rash guards, which are super nice. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check that out. Anyway, singer code SINGER101 gets you 10% off. And, uh, yeah, so that's what's going on. You guys got anything else to add before we wrap up? No? Mm -hmm. We're good to go? If you guys have questions, reach out to us uh, for the podcast. We do appreciate your support. We do appreciate uh, you listening. If you have feedback, we got a lot of feedback on our last episode, which was episode 82 with Mark, who's an extreme endurance athlete. He's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur, right? He's a fisherman, right? He's got a YouTube channel. So a lot of people reached out to let us know they like that episode. So please reach out, let us know. Let us know if you like the dog training episodes. Let us know if you like the business episodes. Let us know if you like the veteran stories or maybe the, the uh, entrepreneurship stuff. Let us know. We appreciate it. It helps us make this podcast better for you so that you get what you want from it. And uh, also, go to your favorite podcast platform. Please rate us. Please review us. That does help us. It helps us beat the algorithm, right, and go from there. And uh, last but not least... I don't know if you saw yesterday, China building a base in Cuba. They made a deal with Cuba to build a base. So we do need to be ready. We do need to be aware. Lexi thinks I'm crazy when I talk about China. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. We never know. Also, you think I'm crazy, Lexi, about yeah. China? Yeah. What do you think about it? What do you I, think about China, Lexi? I don't think much about it. <laughs> I don't You're think You're just in much your day-to-day. -day. Yeah. You ain't worried about China. I think that if we worry about things that could come every single day, we spend half of our lives worrying about something that might happen, you know, 10 years in the future. Or it gives us an excuse to buy more guns, more ammo. Yeah. Right? And if, could. If we're uh, married, we can explain to our significant other, hey, <laughs> China's building a base. I need more guns. Yeah. <laughs> But then you spend a lot of time worrying about it. Then you make your wife worried about it. Oh, <laughs> and, then, and then you're stressing about something that might never happen. Or it might, but also could never happen. That's true. And she doesn't care about China. So okay. I'm, I'm holding the line on that. <laughs> there you one, go. You know? But also local in uh, Somerville yesterday, armed robbery, two different places. Mm. Also in Aiken, there was a shooting at the Walmart in Aiken. So make sure you are paying attention to what's going on around you and uh, making good decisions. So until next time, appreciate you guys' support. Make sure you're paying attention to China. Right, Lexi? <laughs> right. And uh, seeing what's going on around you. We appreciate you guys. And until next time, this is Pack Talk Podcast. Out. Out. Nice.